Before I start today, I just want to make a couple comments. Um, we have a special guest here this morning, a Pastor Chidi from Nigeria. Can you stand, please? From Nigeria, he came all this way. Welcome. He came all this way to visit the Hendersons. So they, they have people coming from all over the world, Pastor Josh and, and Emily. So anyway, but uh, welcome today. Glad you, you could be here with us. And I uh, uh, hope you trust this, the presence of the Spirit of God here today. I also just want to say something. I know that there are those of you listening or will be listening, um, either listening to the sermon online because uh, you're home listening out in your cars on the FM radio broadcast. And we actually have people that listen on CDs, too, because uh, they don't have computer access, but they have CD players. So we want to say hi to you and acknowledge your presence, because we know you're there. Um, and uh, know that you miss being with the rest of us, but I, I believe it's not going to be too long where we'll all be able to be back together in health and strength. So. Judy and I watched a television program once. It was a reality show entitled Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Can you pull me down just, just a little bit? This program was all about change. It was about the before and the after. There was a home in Watts, a section of Los Angeles, that was inhabited by a wonderful woman. She was a community activist. She was like... Uh, like the neighborhood grandmother. And on special occasions, she would fix meals, sometimes for up to 400 people in the neighborhood. But her home was a wreck. It was a wreck not because she didn't take care of it. It was a wreck because it had been nearly destroyed by a local flood caused by heavy rains. The house had had about 24 inches of water on the floors, destroying carpet, flooring, cabinets, appliances, everything. It was an absolute mess. And that's when ex the Extreme Makeover team came in. They arrived. And their goal, transform this house in seven days. It's like, are you serious? You think they can do that? What was most remarkable about, about this show was the contrast, the change, the difference between the before and after. And there are similar shows today all over the place that talk about the before and after. And they show what they get into and what, how they remodel it. They took camera shots of the before, the dingy, rundown, messy, dirty, old, and we could only imagine it, the, the smells that were there because of that. Rooms that all needed wall repairs and paint, old rusted appliances destroyed by the floodwaters, ancient bathrooms, old bad lighting fixtures, cement floors stripped of ruined carpets, destroyed furniture. It was, it was all before. This was the before. Then there was the process, all the work it took to clean it up, the new drywall, the paint, the redesign, the new walls, the new kitchen, new bathrooms, new carpets, floors, beds, and furniture, and new landscaping. And then they showed the after, the after. Wow, and the pictures told the story. The transformation was absolutely remarkable. The contrast between the before and after was unbelievable. It was like this totally new house in seven days. Amazing. It was an extreme makeover, extreme makeover. Today we're going to talk about an extreme makeover, an extreme makeover. Not, not the home edition, but the human edition, the human edition. This extreme makeover isn't about a house or any kind of material object. It's not about 
plastic surgery or tummy tucks or anything like that. It's about people. It's about human lives, human beings. This extreme makeover is about lives that have been damaged or destroyed by floods of a different type, whether it was bad choices or terrible circumstances, floods of filth, or leaving homes or leaving people damaged, dirty, smelly, scarred, run down, and just plain ugly inside. Broken people. This extreme makeover is about lives like that, the before. And then the extreme makeover artist comes and brings transformation and change. Lives changed into something beautiful and valuable with a design and a purpose and a function. An extreme makeover. Let's read about it. Today, extreme makeover, the human edition. We're going to go into Ephesians, the second chapter. Ephesians 2, if you want to find it in the Bible in the, in the rack in front of you, it's on page 947. Page 947, Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. I think it's on the PowerPoint too. Yeah, there we go. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of this great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What a picture. Paul gives us a picture of the before and the after. Life before Jesus and life after Jesus, the way we were and the way we are or can be. And I want us to start with the before today, with the before, the need for an extreme makeover. Sometimes it's really good to look at the before and the need for extreme makeover. The first, first word to describe our life apart from Jesus Christ is very descriptive. It's letter A. It's, it's dead. Dead. Verse 1, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, Dead is, is not in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense. Dead in our soul. Now, people ask, what does that mean, dead? In Genesis 2, 16 to 17, God is speaking to Adam, his new creation, all the way back in Genesis, and he says this. He says, and the Lord commanded the man, you are to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely Die. Die. Now, die in Genesis and also in Ephesians means spiritual death. It means separation from God. Separation from God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death or separation from God. Separation from God. Sin is missing the mark or transgressing, doing actively fighting against God by breaking God's laws, whatever that may be. See, see God is holy. God is righteous. God is perfect. And he cannot have sin in his presence. 
Therefore, when we live in sin and transgress God's laws, we separate ourselves from God. And the Bible describes this separation as death. Death. Dead, unresponsive, there's no life. It's, it's helpless. The first picture of us in this before state is dead. It's a graphic term, and it's used, it's used for effect. The before says, as for you, you were dead. And that's us too, all of us at some point. We're dead. Second, the second word he uses is enslaved. Verse 2 says, you used to live a lifestyle under the power and influence of the world and the devil. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, in, in extreme makeover, the house had been destroyed by forces outside their control. And, and the owner of the, of the house did not have the money or resources to fix it, did not have the skills to change anything. And in a similar way, our lives are permeated with a, a value system of the world. And it's the value system that brought us things like Cuties, the movie on Netflix, which is nothing more but pornography, child pornography. It's abhorrent. It's the culture that brings us the pornographic Super Bowl halftime shows. It's the value system that enslaves people with materialism. It's the world that enslaves people through addictions to alcohol and drugs. It's the world that promotes greed and the accumulation of money or debt to our destruction. In John 8, 34, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. It's a slave to sin. Sl enslaved. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4 says, And even our gospel is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Helpless, enslaved, we can't even see. That's the before. Okay, this is the before. Dead and enslaved. And third, the third phrase that describes this before state, letter C, is gratifying sinful cravings. Gratifying sinful cravings. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Two phrases part, talk about this. It's gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and its thoughts. I have a question just to think about for a minute. What are your cravings? What are your cravings? Chocolate. Coffee, mochas, candy. What, you know, we, we can think of that, some kind of ice cream. You know, you know, there are a lot of things we can think about that are cravings. But when we're talking about cravings, it may include stuff like that. But mainly it's like cravings for power or, or recognition or craving for success. Cravings for entertainment or just craving for fun. Craving for escape. Our culture is full of cravings for escape. It's just... We want to escape. Or probably the most permeative value that affects us is the craving for comfort. Craving for comfort. That's why we put pads on the pews. Would anybody come if it was just, I don't know, well, maybe, I don't know. But just there's something inside of us. We want to be comfortable. Don't mess with my comfort. That's a craving of the flesh. It might be gluttony or overeating. It might be an obsession. It could be an addiction. And that could be uh, an addiction to pornography or food or drugs or alcohol. 
And when it comes to cravings of the sinful flesh, none of us are immune. Okay? We hide it really well, just so you know. We hide it, but none of us are immune. None of us are exempt. And all of us have had a before. And all of us have needed or need an extreme makeover. Now, many of us would say, because, you know, we're nice people in Christian America, say, you know, I don't think I am or I used to be that bad. I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good person. And I would like to think of myself that way, too. I'm pretty good. But we really need to look at what is our nature? What are our inclinations? What are our natural cravings? And not what do I think or what, it, what does the latest poll say about people? Um, I don't know if your phone is ringing like ours is. I, we don't answer any of it. It's just poll after poll after poll. Yeah, they, they don't get any of my information. But, but basically, what, not what does someone else say. What does the Bible say about our natural state in the before or without Jesus? In Romans 3, 10 through 12, it says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Wow. I guess that includes everybody. Romans three twenty three says, For all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, they... This thing of before and after, it's, it, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. And in Romans 5.12, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, spiritual separation, in this way death came to all men because all sinned. In other words, sinful cravings, this nature is in all of us. It's in all of us. And the pressure is always downward towards sin, not upward towards righteousness. There's, it's always downward. There's, it's just, it's a tendency in all of us, in cultures, in societies, in organizations, in, in all, of our, all of our lives. The, 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 the trend is downward. It's always a pulling downward. Downward towards sin instead of upward towards righteousness. Now, when I worked in the past with men's ministry, I spent a couple of years working full Half of my job description is working with men's ministry. And one of the things that, that we dealt with was things that are unique to men, issues unique to men. And typically it had to do, one of the things had to do with the eyes, the eyes, the attraction factor of the eyes. And I would ask the men, when you look at a woman, what nature does it appeal to? Which nature does she appeal to? Does she appeal to the higher nature or the lower nature? Let me explain. If you look at somebody, they appeal to they have dignity, respect, true love and affection, genuine concern, seeing this woman as a child of God, brother or sister. Do we see that person? Or does she appeal to the lower nature, object of desire, someone to be used, lust instead of love or selfishness? And there's this tendency in all of us to look at people. And, and women look at men in the same way too. Or we look at other people. In, is this somebody that... I respect and love and adore, or is this somebody I see as, as useful to me or being used, whatever that is? Do they appeal? And we look, do we look at a person and do they appeal to the higher nature or the lower nature? What is your projected appeal? What is your, yours? Is it the higher nature or lower nature? Now, we cannot, 
no matter who we are, control how others look at us. But we can take steps to appeal to the higher nature, not the lower nature, and how we look, how we act, how we dress. That's having to do with identifying sinful cravings. Which way am I moving, up or down? Act in such a way to appeal to higher nature and admit where we fall short. Now, before, the before state, before the makeover, it was always the lower nature. It says it was sinful cravings. That's what it was. And finally, the before is described in a phrase, destined for judgment, destined for judgment. Verse 3b says, like the rest, we were by nature the objects of wrath. In other words, we deserved God's judgment, his wrath. Psalm 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now when I talk to people, and they, they, they object to those kinds of comments, because most people in America today, about 85%, think that people are basically good. Basically good. There's only one problem with that belief. It's not true. Just a small thing. Just a small thing. It's not true. And we read here in Psalm 51, earlier in Romans 3 and 5, that, that we are all sinners. It's called the doctrine of original sin. And if we don't start in the before acknowledging this original sin, that we all have sin nature, we don't find solutions. We don't find an answer. We have to start acknowledging the before in order to get to the after. We are sinners by nature. We're born that way. In fact, we were conceived that way. I have a statement in your program. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Let me say that again. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's in our nature to sin. It's our nature. Do we have to teach our children to disobey? No, we have to teach them how to obey, right? Parents? Any, any parents here? Same? Okay. Do we have to teach our children to blame others? No, we have to teach them to accept responsibility. Do we have to teach our children to assert their will in rebellion? No, we have to teach them submission to authority. It's a, it's, that's what it is. We, all of us, no matter where we are, have sin as our nature. And the reason we sin is because it's, it's part of that. That's the before. It's the before. One of the tragedies of the 19th century, there was, a, there was a, an author named Oscar Wilde. Some of you know who that is. Brilliant mind, high academic authors, honors. He was an incredible writer, high rewards in literature. And yet he ended up in prison and fell into, into disgrace. And he describes it this way. He wrote it in his book, De Profundis. He said, The gods had given me almost everything, but I let myself be lured into long spells of senselessness and sensual ease. Tired of being on the heights, I deliberately went to the depths in search for a new sensation. What the paradox was to me in the sphere of thought, perversity became to me in the sphere of passion. I grew careless of the lives of others. I took pleasure where it pleased me and passed on. I forgot that every little action of the common day makes or unmakes character, and that therefore what one has done in the secret chamber 
one has someday to cry aloud from the housetop. I ceased to be Lord over myself. I was no longer the captain of my soul and did not know it. I allowed the pleasure to dominate me. I ended in horrible disgrace. That's his story. And we, we by nature, deserve only, only deserve God's wrath or judgment. It's a pretty bleak picture, this, this before state. Dead, enslaved, sinful cravings, destined for judgment. In great need of an extreme makeover. That's where Paul starts. Then he says, but God. But God. God saw this state and he took action. This is the who and the why all mixed together because of who God is and why. What about God? It says, it talks about God's love because of God's great love for us. He's always the seeking, searching God because he loves us. He loves you. He loves me. So in this state, needing an extreme makeover, God steps in because of his love, his great love for us. There's a classic song that illustrates God's love. And I'm going to just paraphrase it. Some of you remember the song. Basically says, if the oceans of the world were ink, and the sky was paper, and if every blade of grass were a pen, and every person on earth were a writer. You get that? Ocean ink, sky paper, grass pen, every person was a writer. To write God's love would drain the oceans dry. The sky couldn't contain all that was written, and we wouldn't have enough writers. It's a song called The Love of God. But just the picture of that God's love, how incredible that is, how big that is. There's no way for us to describe this incredible love. So when he says, here you are, this is the before, but God, it's because of God's love. Next is, letter B, God's mercy. It says he's rich in mercy. Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. So we deserve certain things, and, and God's mercy, he doesn't give it to us. We deserve God's wrath, his judgment, but instead God poured out his judgment on a substitute, on his son, Jesus Christ. Why? Jesus took our punishment, and that was the demonstration of mercy, rich in mercy, not giving us what we deserve, but pouring that wrath. Somebody else paid the price. We did the crime. He did the time. Not giving us what we deserved. And then we have God's grace. Let us see. Verse 5. It is by grace you have been saved. By grace. Now, mercy is not receiving what we deserve. Mercy, grace, is receiving what we do not deserve. Okay? Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. Grace is receiving what we do not deserve. It's like a gift. If you give me a gift and I pay you for it, it's no longer a gift. Okay? You, you, you can't pay for something and it stays a gift. It has to be totally undeserving and just given. It can't be paid for. And that's what God gives to us. 
His character, his actions are all grace. They're undeserved. We don't deserve any of it. Now, we're going to look more at grace next week. This extreme makeover, God the who, God the why. So what does the after look like? What does the after look like? Just take a few minutes to look at the after. Let's look at the results of the extreme makeover. So we have the before, but God, and we have the after. The first one in verse 6 is life. Letter A, life. God gave us life. God raised us up with Christ. Romans 6, 4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. A new life. Brand new start. New life. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you say, man, if I could only do that over, a do-over, if only I could have a new start, if only I could start my life over again, I'd do something different than what I, you know. You, we have all those kinds of regrets. He's given us that new start, that new life. And when we accept this sacrifice that Jesus paid, receive that gift that he's extended to us, restored in relationship, we now have new life. It's eternal life that begins now. It begins now. Now, I grew up in a Christian home. It's kind of hard for me to remember the contrast of before and after. It's a little bit harder to remember. My life filled with sin before age seven and my life after age seven. But let me tell you something. We all have plenty of issues, whether we found Jesus at an early age or later. There are still plenty of things that we've dealt with and and dabbled in that are part of the before. Some here may be able to better appreciate the contrast before, between the before and after. The before and after. And it's good to look at the before in order to appreciate the after. Before is death and the after is life. I've observed physical death. The motionlessness, the cold, the, the, the fact probably the most painful is the permanent separation until heaven, of course. But the permanent separation. And it's in those times that we begin to see how incredibly precious life is. And all we have to do is look around us. If we are in the after, look around us and see the people who are living a life of death, separated from God, so that we can gain a new awareness of how incredibly precious this life gift is. It's critical for us as a church to continually see people make that transition to remind us on a daily basis how important this transition is from death to life, from before to after. God, extreme maker, Makeover, dead, and gave life. Now, in contrast to the enslaved, there's, there's life, and letter B is freedom. Verse 6 says, he raised us up with him, set us free. Enslaved, we were enslaved, we are powerless to change. We cannot change our nature, but God's extreme makeover gave us freedom. We don't have to be kicked around by the devil or controlled by influences of the world around us because our nature, our very person, is set free. When we ask Jesus Christ to come in 
change our lives, take up residence, his Holy Spirit comes in and changes our nature so that we naturally or supernaturally do the things that are righteous and good, pleasing before God. It's him in us, Christ in us. Our nature is set free. Our thoughts, our attitudes, our perspective and actions and values all can be set free in this makeover. And the third result of the makeover is letter C, position. Position. Verse 6, God gave us position and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Position, eternal life which begins now and lasts forever. So he gives us a new nature, a new father, and a new family. It's like this extreme makeover. Extreme makeover. There was a movie called The Prince and Me where Julia Stile plays a woman who by virtue of marrying the prince united with the prince, and because of that, she would someday be the queen. She'd be the queen. And she received that position by virtue of relationship with all the powers, rights, privileges, and benefits. By virtue of relationship, she got all of that given to her. In the same way, we, when we unite with Jesus Christ in relationship, we gain a position by virtue of relationship as children of God, children of God. And therefore, we have position with all the powers, rights, privileges, and benefits of being a follower of Jesus Christ, sons of of God. Are you here this morning in need of an extreme makeover? That's my question. We all have been in the same circumstance. We all started as before, Move to after. It's God through Jesus Christ in his love, his mercy, and his grace who transforms our lives. If you haven't experienced that, you can experience that also today. The extreme makeover, human edition. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that You've come to change our lives. I thank you that you don't whitewash the the before. You tell it like it is. And I pray, God, that we would see in new ways how you, by your, your grace and mercy and your love, have poured out that life change in us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, if there's somebody here today that has not made that decision, that they can pray, ask for forgiveness, and ask you to come into their life, knowing that you can actually take them and do an extreme makeover. And we thank you in Jesus' name.